episode 13 of the Rugby Paper Podcast. I'm joined by digital editor Ben Redwood as we turn our attention towards Bath off the back of an agonising loss to Northampton Saints. We welcome rising star centre Max Ajomo. Ben Redwood, podcast debut, how are you doing? I'm very well, Ollie, how are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad. It's been a long time coming, long time coming. And we are with Bath Centre Max Ajomo. Max, how are you doing, mate? I'm very good, mate. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. I know it was last minute. Um, we were just discussing your injury. How's the rehab going? Um, yeah, it's, it's one of those ones where it's not really a... You don't have a definitive number of weeks where you're out. It's just like a niggly ankle injury. And then it's got to the point now where even I can admit the um, the other sense of the club are playing very well. So I've, I've almost got to do, work extra hard to try and get back into the squad. Well, I was going to say, it kind of came at the worst possible time because Max Clark, who has been playing well since he came, he signed, what, start of March, was it? Something like that? And that was about just after you got your injury. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, not, I- <laughs> not, not, not ideal. Okay, but you're working your way back to full fitness now. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's sweet. I've played a lot, a lot of games on the bounce this season. So, And it's kind of like my first season where I've almost broken into the team. So it's, it's not the worst thing. Like not playing too many games. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to say. First things first, huge congrats on a personal level. You know, many people are saying this is a breakthrough season for you. Is that kind of, I know you have, you won't play so many games towards the back end of the season, but is that kind of how you're seeing it? Um, first of all, cheers. Um, yeah, it was like self-belief has always been big for me. So I've always, even like last year, I've always thought like, okay, I know I'm good enough to do this. It's just a case of when Bath picked me and then... Thankfully, Hoops gave me the opportunity at the start of the season because I don't know if you guys remember, but Josh Matavesi got offered a like a mad deal in Japan. Yeah. And he went and said to Hoops, he said, This is life changing to my family. And Hoops let him go and didn't didn't bring in another 12. He backed backed me as a youngster. And then it's you know, he's been playing me since. And yeah, yeah it has been going very well. I'm very pleased with how it's gone. Yeah, it's been awesome. And obviously, you've come up alongside Orlando Bailey. You're a year year above him at school, were you? Yeah, yeah, a year above. Okay, but you obviously played together when it got to the age grade 17s and 18s. Yeah. How's that been? Obviously, you broke through at very similar times. I'm guessing the solidarity between the two of you really helped that process. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, it's so it's genuinely so easy playing with him because we've played together since we were literally like 14, 15. So it's, it's almost got to the point where we don't really need to say stuff on a pitch. I kind of know what he's what he's doing and he knows exactly what I'm doing. So I'd like to think that when, you know, when one of us is missing, it almost makes it harder for the other ones to play well. I was watching an interview with you, um, Orlando, and I can't remember who the interview was, but you were saying that you prayed that Orlando would stay when he resigned or something because you couldn't imagine playing without another 10. Oh, yeah, Orla- I mean, Orla- Orlando's I- just signed on. <laughs> Does that mean Orlando's your 10 for life in your ideal world? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I would definitely stick with him. He's definitely, he's a, you know, I know how he plays. Yeah, that is true. When, when I was renegotiating my deal, he was there saying, like, oh, I kind of want to, you know, wait it out. And I was like, no, please get it done. Just get it done. <laughs> like, and we'll almost try and synchronise it. Because it's always good when when you and a, a player have a partnership like that, when you come, when you come to the end of your contracts at the same time you know you've got a lot of um bargaining power they were both signed on the same day weren't they they came out yeah yeah they announced it on the same day but i remember like i came into work i was like lance like i've, I've signed it now and then you know within a week or two he'd said yeah it's done 
And then the club thought, what better than to announce him at the same time? So was it him following you or was it you on your knees begging him? <laughs> no, it was, a, it was a bit of a mix. I just said, like, main thing is, if you look around the squad we've got here, like, look how many great players we've got that are 25 and below. And I won't be able to name all of them, but you're talking like, this is even, people don't realise like how young, like, Benno, Boise, Joe Cock and the Singer are, like, boys like that. And then you've got DeGlamble, Redpath, me, Landy, boys coming through the year below us. Like it's it's crazy how much talent's at the squad. So I think it'd be stupid to, you know, wait it out and leave yeah. when, you know, you can build something here. So that's really interesting because what I was just about to ask you, obviously, Bath, you're currently 13th. There's no relegation scrap, so you're all safe on that front. Stuart Barnes describes it as a moral relegation if you fit, you know, take the wooden spoon. How is Stuart Hooper, for example, looking at this season, you speak about the youth of the squad. You maybe haven't had the rub of the green with referee decisions. Northampton Saints at the weekend was a great example of that. Also, injuries, the likes of Redpath, Thokkanasiga, they're X-Factor players and they haven't really been there. Do you think 13th place is a bit of a misrepresentation? Obviously, it could change, but lower half of the table, bottom three is a misrepresentation of what you, the, the firepower that you have in the club. Yeah, I mean, I'm not... You know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. We've been violated this season. Like, it's, it's a disgrace for us to come 13, especially with the, you know, the fan base that we have and the players that we have. But like, it's quite easy to forget. And I'm not using this as, a, as an excuse in any way. Like, I've never been part of a squad where that many players have been injured before. Like, we've had, we had more, injury, more injured players than fit players. And that, you know, that really killed off points of the mid-season and then you add in that we have thrown away games that we should have won I mean look at the last three games we played where we've had a you know two try lead and then we've ended up losing and then you add in a couple games where Bristol away start of the season where we're getting tries disallowed which shouldn't have been like toss of a coin jobs but it all kind of adds up but either way there's games that we should have won that we've lost because of ill discipline so yeah obviously we're very peed off you know, within the camp. But we also understand that, you know, sometimes we've been dealt a bad hand. It's, but almost now it's just, you know, we are building for the new season. I mean, we've got three games left and brutally putting it, we are playing for nothing. There's like, we're literally just playing to try and get above whoever in the table. Yeah. But obviously you've got a lot of players here that are, you know, leaving, that have been here for ages. So we've got, we want to send them off. And then, you got boys trying to prove themselves to a new coach that's going to be watching all the games. So there's definitely still stuff to play for in the last three games. So this is what I was going to say is, obviously, when there was a relegation scrap, even the bottom three, bottom four teams, they had something to fight it out for. Is there a little bit, I know you're, in, you're injured, you're working your way back, but in camp, is there a bit of an edge sort of taken out of the season? Or maybe has there been for a couple of months now, knowing that you're not in the frame for a playoff place? Yeah. Um, yeah, sorry, go on. Oh, no, no. I was going to say it's, it's weird because in, in my situation, this is the third year, my third year pro. I only had one year where there has been relegation and then I've had two years with no relegation. It's quite like, to be honest, it's quite weird. I don't think I'd be able to fathom a season like this where shit, we could actually go down to the championship this year. I think it's quite, it, you know, it's quite a scary prospect that we finish 13th. Well, we, we, we could finish 13th this season. And like, if the same thing happens next year, that, that's life-changing for, for the club. Do you wish there was a relegation scrap? Do you think that would add a bit of bite? Or do you still feel like the same sort of motivation is there for the moment? Especially, obviously, you've got 
Johan van Graan coming in. You're still fighting for jerseys towards the end of the season, ahead of preseason next season. I mean, obviously, with the position that we're in right now, I would not say, yes, I wish there was relegation. <laughs> but um, You know what I mean, though? Like, a, another, yeah. uh, like there's that purpose and that calling yeah, that you've got yeah. to something, put in the extra. Something to play for is such. The way I look at it, and a team I think did it, like, outstandingly, I think last season or the season before was Leicester. I looked at Leicester's squad, and I'm like, how are these guys finishing bottom of the table? And it's because they're putting out boys like Dan Kelly, Freddie Stewart, Ollie Chesson, George Martin every week. Yeah. You know, those boys now have 40 caps. They finished, well, I don't know where they finished that season. And now look at them, they're, you know, they're top of the table or seconds. Like, you've got boys that are 20, 21 that are making their 50th appearances for the clubs or playing international rugby. And when you've got boys like that locked in that, are gonna, that you can build around at a club, it means, you know, it's priceless. And that's what I think teams are now moving towards. Yeah, well, look, we're going to get to that later. Ben? Yeah, mate. So um, kind of as a youngster, and as you were saying about Leicester Tigers, you know, these people are playing, getting to 50 appearances almost at the age of 21, 22. Kind of as a, as a Bath boy, Bath born and bred and through the academy, kind of what's it like being a part of the new Bath? It's class. It's actually class. Like the city shows so much love to the young players because they understand the boys that are coming through. They can almost they can identify more with the team because they're boys that have lived in Bath that are coming through. And then you add in that, you know, my dad used to play, Deej's dad, Big Phil Senior, used to play, Miles' dad used to play. You got, it's that generation where, you know, sons of players are coming through. Mm. And it almost means that more fans can identify with the squad. And, you know, that's why they... You know, they keep turning up. But you, you, we're finishing 13th and we're still averaging 13, 14K at, at home games. Like, it's actually crazy when you think about it. So I can't thank, thank the fans enough. And also, it's, it makes you want to play for this club. Yeah, as, as a fan myself, it was as great as it was seeing such a great team. I almost called them like a Galatico team the last 10 years. Actually, there was no trophy to, there's no premiership title to take home with you, even though you had big stars playing. It was fantastic to see at the wreck. Actually, it's lovely to see like players you can identify as, like yourself with on the pitch playing for the club. So, yeah, as a fan, it's great to see. And it's great to see kind of players from all of the Southwest coming in as well. Obviously, I'm from Taunton, so you've got players from Taunton, all the Somerset, Wiltshire region coming in and playing for the club. It's great to see. It's all about building blocks as well. And if you continue to sell out the rep, that shows that the fans, they're, they're by no means even close to giving it. You know, they still believe that the bath that, you know, was there 10, five, 10 years ago is not too far away on its way back. And I think with Johan van Graan, which I want to uh, come to you about coming next season, there's a potential to draw a line under this season and, you know, really rebuild from next season onwards. Is that the mindset, by the way, that you're going to draw a line under this season and say, look, we can learn X, Y and Z from it, but it was a bit of a blip. And at pre-season, new head coach coming in, you're like, OK, clean slate. Yeah, I mean, 100%. We definitely got things wrong this season, you, you know, and it's, it is unacceptable, to be honest. Like with a team with, and I'll say it, with this much funding behind it, you know, and so many star players, you can't be finishing like this. It is frustrating because I'm a fan as well. Like, if I wouldn't be playing, I'd be watching this team every week. So it breaks me that we're in, we're in this position. But it's almost like the light at the end of the tunnel, you know, because we know there's so many changes next year. It's almost like it is a clean slip. Look, I want to talk to you a little bit about you looking forward on the international scene in a second, if that's OK. First England call-up last summer. Uh, first things first, I know you're probably fed up of talking about it, but just for the people that don't know, 
you didn't get the email because it went to your from England rugby, it went to your spam folder, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Nice. So you fat, and I'm right in saying Stuart Hooper, he said, Congratulations. You were like, What the hell for? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So it was like I'd come off the bench for like two minutes against London Irish. That was my Prem debut a couple of weeks before. And then I think one of the centers got injured. Um, I got called in to play against Harlequins. And then I made just, I, I got like one mad assist, like a really long pass, uh, classic yeah, miss pass for me. I remember that, yeah. And, um, Coming the next day, and I was like, because it was a summer series and it was COVID, I think Eddie had sent out like a 40 man player list. 40 boys had got emails that, oh, just so you know, don't plan anything this summer because you might be going to summer tour. I never got that email. So, but I was going around, like, oh, um, horse, horse, mate, did you get the email? Oh, congrats, bro. Like, I was going around congratulating everybody, oh, seeing who was going to play and stuff. And then we've had um, Northampton the, the Saturday after and we get to Friday and I'm getting treatments, you know, uh, finally playing my second game. And Hoops comes over to me and he's like, uh, just so you know, you're, you're in the England squad. And I don't know if I can say on this, but I was, honestly, I was just like, fuck off. No way. <laughs> <laughs> no, just no way. Um, you thought he was having you on? Genuine. Yeah, I'm like, no way. Call yeah, my mum, yeah. mum started crying and all that. She thought, oh, he's made it. But it's, it's really just a start. It's just quite funny. And then is, I obviously... Is that if, obviously, it wasn't a prank. Is Stuart the kind of coach to pull that prank? No, 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 no. Okay. He's, a, he's a serious guy, yeah. Okay, so you believe you did believe him? <laughs> yeah, 100%. <laughs> okay, awesome. And obviously, you came into camp and it wasn't, you know, the full Monty in terms of England stars, but there were still players to learn a lot from. Talk a little bit about the experience in camp and how much that helped coming then coming back to Bath. Yeah, so going from being juice at Bath to then playing two games to then going on a summer tour, well, during COVID, so a summer tour of England, you know, training for four weeks there. It almost like taught me like, wow, this is the level that these boys train at every week. If I can survive and thrive at this level then it makes club rugby so much easier so it almost motivated me so much and I I tell you what the intensity that those boys train at is is a joke because it's, it's a treadmill it's not like club rugby where you've seen issues we've had this year where you have a finite amount of players where if someone gets injured it's like okay I can't sign someone straight away with those England camps if I get injured like you got Piers Francis you got all these boys that can get brought in straight away um so Obviously, there's a lot more contact, a lot more intense, and it's, it is almost like the X factor in those first two weeks of, of the, the summer tour because you know when you leave on the Friday, you may not be coming back the next week. Look, let's move on a little bit. I want to talk, well, I want to talk about the England setup outside of you for the moment. We on the Rugby Paper podcast, we welcomed on Toby Flood uh, to pick an England 15 for 2023. Now, what was weird was even though he has played for England like once since the World Cup or whatever, we all had Joe Thokonosiga in our starting 15. He's obviously had injury after injury after injury. How's he looking at the moment? I mean, first of all, he's big and he's quick. He's probably the closest build and potential to, you know, Jonah Loma. And there's not many wingers like that. First of all, they're English. If he's fit and firing, like, he probably walks into the team. You've got to remember the stuff that he was doing against Australia and Japan at the age of 21, 22. Yeah. That's unheard of, mate. And he, mean, does it, but... he, he does it every time he plays for England as well. You look at the warm-up game against Ireland before the World Cup. When he played against Canada, he, you know, he, he, from a standing start, he sat down there 10. How's he to tackle? 
in training? Uh, it's one of those ones where it's like, close your eyes and just, you know, you're diving into the train. <laughs> <laughs> well, because, that, like, does he run bigger than, you know, there are some people who have the size and don't necessarily know how to use it. Does he, do you feel it as much as you expect to feel it? Yeah, well, he's, he's really smart because he almost... He knows, I think, he knows in his head. If he wanted to, he could run through everyone in training. So he almost uses training as his, as his playground to start working on these new skills, like, you know, someone that's 6'4 and 120 kilos that can step. Or, you know, he's got a Spagian offload game. If you bring that in, uh, he's going to be an all-round winger. It'll be unstoppable. The internet says 112. Is he actually 120? We'll go with what the internet says. <laughs> <laughs> okay, just checking. I mean, maybe not. It would be quite a nice for opposition to be able to put a 120 kilo winger down. <laughs> okay, cool. no, I'm just, I'm just checking. And obviously, he's had a succession of injuries. Sam Underhill's another. Toby Falatel's another. Is the Bath physio team aware? You know, well, presumably they are aware that this year has been unprecedented in terms of number of injuries. Is there a change of approach? potentially that's being taken in terms of both preventative and remedial sides of things? It's a tough one. So like with the the amount of injuries we had was was unprecedented. Like you can't you can't plan for that kind of stuff. And there was a point where we had so many boys injured, we actually didn't have enough physios. So we had to like bring in physios to to rehab more boys because essentially once you get injured, you get linked to one physio and that physio does your rehab. I, I genuinely, I just think we we're really unlucky. It almost just seemed like, you know, you've got Joe getting injured in a warm-up game. You know, Sam's getting concussed. Sam's played at how many seasons without getting concussed? And then this is the season where he gets concussed a couple of times. It's just like, we were just really unlucky. And I know it looks it looks bad on the physio team and people will be like, oh, Hooper's player management is terrible. But it, it's rugby, it's a collision sport. Let's talk about the England midfield. Now, we have had some fierce debates about the England midfield uh, on this podcast, not just the episode that we picked the England 15, but throughout the Six Nations. And one shirt that they haven't settled on is 12. Now, I'm going to ask you what your ideal England midfield is, but I'm going to throw in the caveat that Manu Tuolangi isn't allowed to feature in your selection. Yeah, see, that's, that's always tough because if you're talking about with Eddie as coach... You almost need that big ball, ball carrying 12, like, or an exceptional playmaker, almost like a Brad Barrett esque player. Obviously, you're talking about the players to pick from currently, and I'm not going to include myself in it. You'd be looking at your, your Slade, March, and I me personally, I'd put Dan Kelly in there as well, Dingwall, and then, okay, and then you've got myself, and that's probably the you know, there's 12s. Oh, I'm missing out Atkinson as well. Sorry. Yeah. Um, it kind of depends with how you want to play because your midfield changes so much. As much as Slade Marchant works, I do sometimes think it's a bit lightweight. But then you look at the other centres and you're like, well, the only other centre that is big, big is, is Aki. So I, I think it's an interesting one. And it also depends on who's 10 because there, there are some 10-12 10, 10, partnerships people don't realise 10-12 is probably the second most important from 9-10. So... You give me a lot of words there. You haven't given me an answer. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's tough. It's tough. Um, so who's your 10, first of all? Is it who's Marcus? My 10? Yeah, I think, I think you go Marcus. If you're building towards the next World Cup, 100%. But then, then it makes me want to pick. I, want to, I would pick Atkinson at 12. Yeah, that's but, what we've been swaying towards. But <laughs> I, I, I don't know how old he is. And I don't He's, know what. Like, I think he'll be 33 by the World Cup. Yeah, and that, so like I'm sure if you asked him, he'd say it'd be fine. But you're also yeah. talking about someone that's 
I think he's only got like a couple of caps as well. Yeah, but this is um, what, so, so one thing Flats uh, David Flatman said when he was on is that although he's 32, 33, he doesn't have the miles under his belt because he hasn't played that many caps. Toby Fly, when I said he was too old, also called me out for anti-age discrimination in the workplace. <laughs> With... I think I think players are playing older now, though, aren't they? You see it across all different sports. You see it top-level cricket, football, mm. even rugby now. These these players are because they're so well conditioned. They're playing until they're older. Do you think can do, especially with not having the miles in his legs, as Flat says? Yeah, you can almost base it off what a player looks like. If a player, so it always surprised me because Manu's when he's not injured, he can actually get a good string of games together. But you know, if you look at someone that looks very natural with their body shape, someone like Mark Atkinson, he's six four, yeah. he's not huge. He actually floats quite a bit when he's playing. He, he doesn't like he's not very attritional, so well, he that's, could yeah. he could actually play like easily. Well, that's exactly it. If you're a dense bowling ball, you put your joints, your tendons under more stress than the Mark Atkinson. I always think he's a bit like Damien Dialende. Yeah, yeah. Whose yeah. longevity is really, really high because of the build that he has. So that's the thing. And also, it's only, you know, Mark Atkinson is playing week in, week out. It's only a year and a bit away. Eddie will not listen to us, but, you know, we'll, we'll, <laughs> maybe at some point uh, if we force Atkinson down his throat as much as we can. Let's move on to you a little bit. Ben, I'm going to come to you first. Yeah, Max, so kind of what do you see yourself as your position moving forward? Where do you want to, what shirt do you want in the bath team? Definitely 12. I'm, I'm, I'm very, people, you won't realise unless you come and actually watch me in person. I'm, I'm very vocal when I play. I will try and take as much of the load off the 10 as possible. So the 10 only has to worry about, okay, who am I picking this pass to or am I going to kick it? Other than that, I try and lead most of the defence and attack. So I, I do enjoy 12, but I do also love attacking the Y channel. So it'll be 12-13, but I'd like to think that I'm a 12 first. If, they, if, I'm, if I really have to, I can play 10 and then 13. What are you weighing right now? If I can me ask. right now 95 because yeah. I my weight's gone like I came in first preseason like 103 kilos like <laughs> fat like so okay big. not not good weight not good weight and then after England camp I came back at like 91 I was oh wow very quick I was quick and steppy but then you know when he got Tom Willis running at me and I got bounced and I was like okay maybe a couple more kilos would help so yeah. I found like that nice middle ground at 95. Don't get me wrong, I know your focus is on Bath at the moment, but if an England opportunity came around, you wouldn't exactly say no, would you? So if you're seeing 12 as your position for the moment, do you feel that a few extra kilos on top of that would be necessary, given that, like we've already said, Eddie needs that big ball-carrying 12? I know when you were 103, you said it was bad weight. Yeah. Are you in talk with your strength and conditioning coaches saying, all right, let's try and get you to a good weight 100 101 102 you know the ollie lawrence i think is something like that oh yeah 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 and see what you can do see whether you lose your speed you lose your endurance or not yeah i, I mean it's de it's definitely something to look at because i've gone like one extreme it'd be tough i feel like one thing we've always said at the club i'll play better the more involvements i have in a game so obviously if i could be 103 kilos with the same fitness that i have now like yeah. it'd be perfect be absolutely perfect but it's you know it's really hard to actually get around the pitch and get multiple multiple touches whilst being vocal at 103 if I set out I really want to play for England in the next two years and I don't care about my performances whilst I'm building to that point I think I would have to put on weight because 95 isn't you know that heavy when you look at your Estehazens and your DLN days unless you go to 13 which yeah is my next question is that do you potentially see the 13 shirt as more viable 
for England? I think if I defensively, like if I get better defensively, and so like with my defensive reads, people don't understand how hard 13 is. Like Jonathan Joseph is the best 13 defender that I've seen. There's no chance of pushing him out that shirt. The, main, the one thing I have said is if he leaves in two years, I would like to be in a position where I can push the 13 if we have a viable 12. Yeah, I suppose you're happy. I mean, Max Clark, Jonathan Joseph coming, uh, re-signing is competition. It's frustrating competition for the moment while you're semi on the sidelines, but long term, it's good competition, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, realistically, in a perfect world where you're a premiership winning team, I don't think your starters would play more than 15 to 20 games in a season. So having three midfielders for two shirts that can just sort of interchange, that works pretty well. Exactly. So I think next season, our depth at centre is looking like, I think we'll have two 12s, two 13s, and then, you know, two hybrids. I'm trying to do the maths. Who, who's who? I can't even fit. So I'm pretty sure so it'd be like me and Cam, 12s. Yeah. yeah. And then you've got JJ, Will Butt, and Max yeah. Wright. And then you've also got Jordan Venter in the ACAD. So you got that's that's more than enough players. Oh, I see. So 10th, I thought season. you meant, hi- yeah, yeah. So hybrids like Orlando and. Yeah, so yeah. Tom so like Orlando could play 12 if you needed to, 100%. And then yeah. you've got Will Bratton play set outside centre all way. Okay, let's put a pause on rugby discussion. And Max and Jomo, it is time for your random rugby 15. 15 quick fire questions. Say as much or as little as you like. We've had all sorts of variety. Some people say one word, a la Gavin Hastings. Some people speak for about 15 minutes per question, a la Jerry Guscott. Yeah, I know. We've all got lives to live, but uh, up to you. If you're ready, we'll get going. Yeah, awesome. Nickname? Oge. Best rugby memory? Um, winning the under-15 combination cup with a pass the last minute. Nice. Most embarrassing rugby memory? ACAD under-18s league, needed a bonus point win against London Irish to go through to the final. I'd been told all week not to take the mall off the hooker, not take the ball off the hooker in the mall. <laughs> Jump in there, mall's trundling along. I pull out and dive and celebrate on the five meter line, and I'm on the floor screaming, "It's on the line! It's on the line!" <laughs> so the celebration wasn't stand up, slam the ball on the no, ground. No, no, no. Okay, because that, that would have made it way caught. worse. I, I've seen the footage where you ground the ball. What happened after you started celebrating? Because obviously it's play on. Well, obviously the boys are rocking over me and I'm there like, it's on the line, it's on the line, sir. And then I realised that the rock was going on. I just, but people were laughing on the sideline. It was, it was at Trowbridge where I live and everything. Did you get the bonus point a few phases later? Nope, and the boys oh, okay. will never let it slide. Nice, good. Pre-game tune. Left, right by YG. Okay, don't know it. I'll listen afterwards. Post-game, <laughs> post-game meal. Post-game meal. I love a, uh, you know, when you go to the kebab shop, but you get a chicken burger, just, I'll yeah. just grab a chicken burger and chips, smash it. Okay. Not any, always from a kebab shop though. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is the 103 kilo diet. It's 103 kilo diet. <laughs> I've earned it. <laughs> Best player you've played against? Andre Estesen, without a doubt. That guy's like, he's scary. Best player you've played with? <laughs> Oh, man, I played with so many, so many good players. Forwards, I'll go to Lupe, Falatao. Yeah. And then backs. It's a shame because I haven't played with Anthony in his prime. I've only played like two games of Anthony. I've played so many of JJ, so I've got to say JJ. Okay. Favourite player right now? Ah, Bottia. That guy's an animal. Lavani Bottia, Lauer Shell 12. Yeah. Joke. Absolute joke for player. And I would hate to play against him. 
Rugby idol. Kyle Eastman. Okay, interesting. Favourite stadium? If I can't choose the wreck, I don't know the name of it, but my dad took me there to watch Gloucester play Toulouse, but Toulouse is home ground. Oh, I don't know the name of it either. Ben, do you know? Not a clue. I've flown over it before, but yeah, not a clue. Oh, that's yeah, not, that's it's lovely. That's not useful information. <laughs> Favourite gym exercise? Bench press. The one one movement I've got. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Not a squatter? Uh, no, no. Not, not with these pins. <laughs> <laughs> Occupation if rugby didn't exist? Oh, I'd love to be a management consultant. Okay. Uh, almost like go around and, and help people manage people better, essentially. <laughs> Superstitions? I'll, or if I have a good game or a good training session in any piece of clothing, I will wear that piece of clothing for the game. So whether like the, obviously true socks, if I train well in a pair of true socks, I'll wear them in the game. If I train well in a certain pair of boots, I'll wear them for the game. If I played well in the previous week wearing a long, long white sleeve top, I'll wear a long like, white sleeve top. Like okay. it's weird. Obviously, if you have a bad game, that then goes in the bin. Oh, if I have a bad game, I'm changing everything. Yeah. And then I'll, <laughs> okay. you know, I'll be worried. Interesting. Yeah, I like that to be fair, because some people stick with the same pair of socks the entire time and it you know, <laughs> sort of goes out the window if you have a couple of shockers. Nice. Exactly. Rugby rule you would change. Difficult one. Um it's a, yeah, this is a good question. Something to the scrum, like I feel like you can't have more than two resets or okay. you know. If the scrum goes down, it has to be it has to be a free kick straight away, which has to be a tap and go, something like that. Okay. All right. Yeah. Or, speed, so or some, maybe, in, some in speed the scrums up. Exactly. Or even you know even a, a bigger bench. Oh, a bigger bench. <laughs> you mentioned yeah. ben, bench press. I just bench thought you were wishing there, that you yeah. had a stronger I'm, bench press. <laughs> no, no, maybe maybe a bigger bench because at the moment it's it's actually very hard for teams to decide who you choose at twenty two and twenty three. Very interesting. So we've had lots of people say the op- uh, Tom de Glanville's dad, Phil, we had him on a couple of weeks ago. He said the opposite. He said smaller bench. So very interesting to have someone say the opposite. I suppose it's easy for the old farts to say smaller bench because they're no longer yeah. playing and don't have to go the full 80. Lastly, best thing about working in rugby? The fans. It, like, it's, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I actually can't. I, I can't imagine. I oh, I don't understand it. I don't understand it. Just the fact that they love the game so much that they they want to relate with the players so much. So, like the one thing we as players want to do is like make someone's deck. That's awesome. Um, yeah. yeah, that's a great that's a great answer. Thank you very much for doing that. Let's move back to rugby to Bath and to you. I can't have you on our podcast without mentioning your dad at least briefly. Obviously, Steve Ajomo. A hulking number eight is how many people describe him for Bath. Now, we had Phil de Glanville on, who's obviously Tom's dad, and Tony Underwood on a couple of weeks ago. And we were speaking about balance and how in the professional era, you've got to commit so much to rugby to be able to make it. But for those who don't make it, obviously, you don't really see the people that don't. They have committed so much and then they don't make it. And they're like, what? right, well, what's left? Now, you were at a child with you know a rugby player father when you were potentially on the cusp of do I go for pro do I not go was Steve very much there for ensuring that you maintain that balance with or studies or other projects and things oh yeah and it's terrible it's it, I say it all the time that it's, uh, there's something about Nigerian fathers in education like they will push their their kids like through education no matter what 
no matter what. But it's, it, it is good because it does give me something to think about outside of rugby. Sometimes I get home during the, during the off-season when I don't have uni and I, and I don't have rugby and I'm like, what am I actually doing with my life? Like, what am I accomplishing today? It's, it's, it, it's actually quite hard mentally. Yeah, and, and that may sound like a snowflakey thing to to think about, but when when you literally have nothing to do for a day, like sometimes it can be it can be tough. It's quite refreshing to hear that. Obviously, you said you wanted to be was it management consultant, something like that. Yeah, yeah. that's that's something that you probably wouldn't necessarily have in your mind had you not been pushed by your dad to have that balance. Uh, if you'd just gone rugby, 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 but obviously it's it's very easy to fall into the sort of predictable mindset of okay well you're following in your dad's footsteps when you zoom in on the details it's very much not the case you guys are chalk and cheese in terms of the type of rugby you play yeah um but what came first was it your love of rugby or was it your dad introducing you to rugby yeah I think it was I think it was my love of rugby I I, I was just always around it because he was playing and we were traveling but I think I even remember being like, you know, five, six, seven, going and watching his teams play when he used to coach Walcott, one of the local teams, go and watch them play. Wouldn't have a clue what was going on. Then it's like, we're in the bar off. They're all drinking their pints and I'm there with a pint of orange juice playing the games <laughs> and stuff. And if I'm messing up in the games, I'm, I'm having to drop a pint. You know, it's the, it's the community <laughs> around it. It's hard not to, not to love the sport. And I mean, pints of orange juice is kind of the modern way. Your dad speaks about how he played alongside 30 beer bellies and now it's 30 yeah. athletes. So like as a mentor, there are things you can learn from it, but there are also things that he won't have experienced that don't translate. For example, I would imagine the professional athlete lifestyle is much more rigorous for you now than it was for him. Yeah. Yeah. And you, it's tough because you've almost got to try and find a balance. Like some boys that will fall out of the game will go for broke so early and be like, right, I'm being uber professional. I'm not drinking. I'm not socialising. I'm not, I'm not going and hanging out with my uni mates. They're so focused on rugby. And then they get injured and it's almost like, right, now what? Like, it can be mentally tough on them. So I've always tried to keep my life exactly the same. Like, obviously, I'm not a full uni student going out three times a week. But, you know, if the boys are at the pub, I, I, like, I like to take my life away from rugby the whole time. Uh, Matt, what did you have you been to university, Max? Yeah, yeah. So I'm currently studying business administration at um, the Uni of Bath. Awesome. So is that is that in like a part time basis, or is that you doing like a full a full time course? Uh, a... So what it was full time through first year because you know I'm not, not gonna lie, you need forty percent. But yeah. <laughs> after that, I've essentially split all my years until I'm 24, which is to me is quite crazy awesome. because my friends now are graduating this year. So yeah. it is quite disheartening thinking I've got another three years of it. Yeah. No, good on you for doing that. That's really good. You're going to be ancient by the time you graduate, though. Ancient, mate. It's and it's I, gonna... I graduate this week and I'm 24, so I find it. Uh, yeah, I, gra- I, gra- <laughs> I, I graduate next year when I'm going to be 24 as well. <laughs> I'll be taking my Zimmer Frey to my ceremony on Friday. <laughs> <laughs> Just a bunch of golden oldies still at uni at the, in, in our mid-20s. <laughs> Do you get some pl- um, dispensation from Bath to play Bucks? Yeah, so I did in my first year. So Bath quite good. Like, if yeah, you're not getting are. picked for Bath's team, you'll be sent either to Bucks or, you know, a loan team. So I played there in my first year. I played, like, four games. Probably the toughest league I've played in, genuine. Like, people don't understand. Bucks is so hard as a fresher and a young pro because you're going into the league with so much expectation around you and you're also playing against older guys. Yeah. It's, I, I will honestly say... Buck Super Rugby against the right teams is harder than 
um, England 20s. I went to England 20s after playing four Bucks games and it was it was a breath of fresh air. Piece of cake. Uh, no, no, not a piece of cake, <laughs> but like, you, you know, you're, you're playing people that are actually 20. You can only be so big at 20. What was your Bucks experience like almost going out? You, you, you hear so many people saying that going out alone was like, really made them as a rugby player. Kind of, they, they grew up by doing it. Was that what Bucks rugby was to you? It almost humbled me, to be fair. So I came out of under 18s, like, you know, you're getting signed, so you're the top dog. And then you almost go to being the bottom of, you know, the, the bottom dog in, in the professional game. So I was top dog, fat, just fat, dreadlocks, like terrible, looks terrible, unprofessional. Go to the Bucks, you know, I played England 18, so, so you're, you're thinking you're the man. And I'm going to Bucks and I've got boys shouting to me after the game. I still I hate this. Someone shouted to me after the game, like, is that it? Like, someone actually shouted to me, is that it? Or we're playing Cardiff Met away and the boys shouting, oh, you ain't good enough to play England 18s. Like, stuff like that can get yeah. you as a young player. But it's, it's you need it. You need it because it drives you on. Oh, sorry, sorry on. you get the drive of, like, the importance of, like in football, you know, like the importance of three points on a Saturday. Is that kind of what you learn of that humbling experience as well? In terms of what? Like, the importance of winning. So everybody's on a really... Academy games, it's like you want to play well yourself, don't you? At the age group level. And then you kind of go into the, the Bucks where winning is everything and you want to win for the person next to you and everybody else in the team. Does that kind of have a real good impact on your game? Well, I'll almost, I'll flip that because that, that's a tough thing with Bucks unis. And I feel almost sorry for the universities because when you're in the Academy League, you almost know you're getting signed when you're in your last year, if, if you know, if you're around the English setup. So we were playing to be, you know, I was playing with my best mates, people that I've trained with for the last three years. And then I've turned pro and stayed in the same city and I'm getting sent to box training at flipping, you know, 6.30 in the morning on floodlit pitches where it's muddy and you're, you're meeting boys that you've never played with before. You may only train with them once or twice a week. Whereas those boys will be training three, four times a week together. So it's quite hard to get accepted into the culture of Bucks. Uh, sorry, of the university teams. Well, I found it anyway. I was going to ask you actually about the dreadlocks. Are they coming back at any point? Did you get rid of them in your superstition way? Like they were lucky dreadlocks and <laughs> had a bad game. And then you just thought, I'm just going to buzz it. Uh, no, no. It was actually, it's quite funny. It was, it was just an A-League game. But A-League was huge for me at the time. And we were in the warm-up. It was quite windy and... Someone did a high ball and the dread was just like slapping me in the eye. <laughs> I, I was like, right, that is it. It's about time These for them coming to go. Off. Yeah. They've got to go. They had to go. So they're not coming. Even if the dread, I'm convinced dreadlocks give you a bit of extra pace and a bit of extra strength. <laughs> Even if that's the case, they're not coming back. They can't. They can't. They're so hard to maintain a rugby because you can't like get them wet. Otherwise you get um, mildew, like wet, like rot in them. So yeah, I can't relate to be honest, mate. But <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm I'm sad that the dreadlocks won't be making a comeback. But fa- fair enough. I mean, Cal- Carl Eastman had pulled it off. He was, he, yeah. and he's a idol, so you don't want to follow back in his footsteps. Yeah, but I think like he actually passed more than me. If if I didn't carry as much, I think it'd be fine. Yeah, <laughs> but I think like if you you know you get tackled once, and I remember like I'm having to like redo my hair and stuff, and I, I don't really want to mess with that to be honest. Okay. All right, I'll stop trying to persuade you, the defence was. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, back to Steve and yeah. your relationship with him. Now, Ben, I'm going to come to you because you had a question, the Ajomo net surname and coming into the academy. Yeah, mate, so kind of what was the weight of the Ajomo name through the academy age groups? Kind of, does everybody, everybody knows, all the coaches know, all the parents know, you're an Ajomo. Yeah. Kind of, what was that like growing up through that like, uh, age group and into academy? 
Yeah, I mean, it, it was jarring at first, like from probably the ages of 15 to 18. But then um, once I started proving to, you know, it almost took like one game in front of someone that was giving me chat for it. If I played one game in front of them and proved to, to them that I'm actually a decent player, then it's like, then it kind of goes away. So through the, through the you know, through ACAD, it was the worst. Like through junior ACAD from 15 to 18, it was the worst. But then once I played in the 18s and then starting getting through, then boys started almost respecting it a bit more. You're also yeah. very much not alone in that respect, which I'd imagine helped. Obviously, Tom, Miles Reeds, you know, you've all got dads who played for Bath as well. Does that help? Have you ever, you know, confided in one another saying, oh, the pressure, you know, it does get to you a little bit. And has that been quite nice to have that, you know, you can identify with with each other in that respect? Yeah, yeah. I mean, to, to be honest, I don't think, I think it'd be worse if it was like a brother, you know, at least it's just, it's my dad. Like, I don't know, there's nothing really I can do about it. I yeah. mean, boys, will, if I do something, you know, good, like someone might shout like, oh, son of Steve, like just as a joke. But it's all banter at the end of the day. And it helps that you're a centre. You're not, yeah. an, you, uh, were, you were a number eight in the academy initially, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but you, you never saw yourself as a number eight, right? Uh, no, no, I didn't like, I don't like, I didn't like tackling enough. <laughs> okay, <laughs> no. Let's turn our attention, and we've touched upon this as well briefly, towards Bath and the future plans in terms of the academy. Paul Rees from the Rubber Paper published an article about the fact that Bath is looking to have 50% of its squad as homegrown next year. Now, he also pointed out that Bath's starting lineup in 2015, which you would have been 15, so you would have just come into the academy, had zero players that had come through the club's ranks. Right. Now, how involved are you in this process? Do you, you know, are the coaches very much making the players a part of that? And for example... Are you, Orlando, you and Richards, you know, obviously you're being described as some shining lights from the playing side of things this season, but are you taking on mentor roles for the 17, 18-year-olds who, who we haven't heard of yet, uh, who may come on and make their debuts in the next year or two? I think 100% in pre-season it will occur because we're quite late in the season, so the, the, the first years have had that time to settle in, but... The, the, you almost don't really need to mentor the players because they're going into an academy where the boy, they literally just played with the boys the year before. So everyone actually knows everyone coming, going through the system. And that's why the homegrown players thing always works because, you know, you've got links throughout the, throughout the squad. So that's it. And we've spoken about cohesion so much this year. You look at, on a big, at the bigger scale, Leinster, Translating to Ireland, people are speaking about how Alex Dombrandt starting at eight ahead of Sam Simmons will help because of the 8-10 connection between him and Smith. Are we saying then that, uh, you know, you and Orlando are another sort of smaller scale example about that cohesion, you come up the ranks. This is the blueprint for Bath coming forward is by the time you get to 19 years old, 20 years old, and you're making your debut, you're doing it alongside four other players that you have known for three, four years. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, playing against Leinster that time, it's, it's crazy. Like, it's those boys don't even talk. They just know exactly what's going to happen. And I think in, in Bath's case, it's one, the cohesion. But two, you obviously want to play hard for, you know, a place that you've grown up in and a place that your friends are playing. So you look at... Is I go back to the Irish provinces. It's really hard to sign boys out of Ireland because the main thing when you're growing up there is playing for your province or playing for Leinster. So boys never actually leave, and they even at the age of 22, 23, even if they, you know they they should, they'll be first choice at another club, but 
their third choice at Leinster, they'll still stay because it means so much to play for that team. And that's kind of what you get from bringing home, you know, homegrown players through in English clubs. That's really interesting. You feel like you're a part of something that's a lot bigger than just a club. Yeah, yeah. So, for example, uh, not trying to make this about me, but when we were playing Newcastle away from home and it was Miles' first captaincy, I think... I think we were down points and I think I got an assist and we're running back and he's my lifting pod. And I said to him, I was like, Miles, I'm not letting you lose your first game as captain. Like, it's something you can relate to. It's something, you know, it's something to play for. It's not, you're not just playing for the club, you're playing for your friends as well. Obviously, rugby, it's behind the eight ball in terms of football, for example, and growth of the game and how up to date it is. I personally think that, the players who come through the academy from an English perspective, they're always the players who end up being the household names, the true superstars. You know, you look at Maro Itoje, you look at Marcus Smith, they've come through the academy and the media loves to put their names up in lights. And although, you know, the media probably overdoes it a little bit, it's also quite a good thing. And you've already said that yourself and that you feel a part of Bath because you've come up. Does that mean that you're more excited than ever right now, for example, to continue that and you also see that as not just the Bath way forward but the English way forward in terms of building the game building the superstars that maybe the game is just lacking that little bit to give it that extra edge relative to other sports yeah yeah 100 percent. and I think the main priority for rugby as a whole is is growing the game like it's it's terrible I think Sips was saying the other day the other day Lawrence Delalio in 2000 is you know from 2000 to 2003 was on the same salary that, you know, some of our marquee players are on now. So you're talking about 20 years where, you know, wow. salaries with inflation in other sectors in the UK have increased. There hasn't been that increase in rugby. So it shows that there's something wrong with the, with the business model. So I think pushing boys through and almost giving boys their own name to try and elevate rugby as a whole, you know, there's, there's nothing better for the game. Only, you know, it's only positive. That's mad. I didn't, I didn't realise that. And obviously there's more money in the game, or presumably there is than 20 years ago. So where's it going? Um, it's tough. It's, it's really tough. I, 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 do, I actually think about it quite a lot because I, I like the business side of it. Yeah. Like, it's never going to be like football unless you abolish, not the salary cap, or unless we start getting really rich owners. But no one wants to come and own a business you know, that's losing, losing money every, every year. Because there's Sorry? It's got like the salary cap restrictions as well, isn't it? That restricts the business. The exactly. Of the business. And I, I've said this and I'll hold me to this. In 2023, if France win their own World Cup, the place to play will be France. And it will be a toss up for English boys like, I'll, you know, I'll even put myself in that position. It'll be a toss up for English boys like myself. If the salary cap in England is still 5 mil and what's it in France right now? 15 mil euros. Imagine uh, 10. Okay. 10. Yeah, I'm not too sure. Well, imagine if they win their World Cup, how much that will grow the game there. Yeah. Like the, because the bigger the game is in a country, the more money's in the league, the more you can pay the players. Because rugby's not a career that you can, you know, you can't, there's not many players that can retire fully after rugby. Like a lot of boys are going into construction or they don't have an education, so they are, they are shagged after their careers. So it is a bit of a smash and grab. So you might yeah. start seeing boys deciding whether to stay in England and have a chance to play for the for the national country for the country or go to France and actually, you know, supply for their families. 
this is so hypothetical, but 2023 France win the World Cup, something like that does happen. What is Max Ajomo doing? Are you staying in Bath or are you jetting off to France? To I mean, yeah. I, you, you, you'll have your degree, or you'll in a couple of years after that you'll have your degree, I suppose, which is going for you. Where, like you say, some people won't have an education, but yeah. yeah. I really, to be honest, I really want to stay because I've been told by a couple of boys that have moved clubs. There's only, it's never the same winning something at a different club from your first club. Like your first club's always the one that, you know, when you win something with them, there's nothing that, it will, nothing will ever beat that. I almost feel like it's, it's a bit like FIFA career mode. Like nothing will beat winning <laughs> with this team if I win with this team. So I, I want to stay here as long as we're building towards something. And like, I would say that if we're not if we're not building towards something, then what would be the point of saying? But I look around now and I 100% think that with the players coming through for the next five to eight years, we you know we should 100% be building towards top four, then you know playoffs, then winning shit. What's your FIFA career mode equivalent to Bath then? I always try and get Spurs silverware. That's okay. my. Thing. Are you are you a Spurs fan? Um, a bit, but I'm like so loose. So don't ask okay. any questions. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm, I'm not going to. I'm not going to. I, I just didn't know whether you were saying like you pick like Ipswich Town or something and try and get. Oh no, 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 no. Not, not, not rags to riches. Okay, like, not... riches to silverware. Okay, nice riches <laughs> to even more riches. Max, that was awesome. Thank you so Happy much days. for joining us. Congrats on this season. We can only hope for some England involvements this summer, and obviously. Massive success for Bath with this new homegrown system next season. And good luck with the degree alongside it as well. Oh, thank you, guys. I appreciate it. That was class. As always, a copy of the rugby paper is available in stores on Sundays or via an online subscription. You can have it delivered straight to you. Next week, we review the Women's Six Nations of what is hopefully a Red Roses Grand Slam. I'm rejoined by England record breaker Rocky Clark as we welcome women's captain Sarah Hunter.